Yo, it's Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Uh, follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Um, we're recording this episode on June 17th, 2020, uh, Wednesday. Um, and it's a free episode. Uh, we're a black leftist podcast. And, um, you know, for those of you who are listening to this for free, we encourage you to subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. $5 a month to get bonus episodes. A lot of good stuff, theory readings, additional interviews. Our last interview we did uh, with an activist in Seattle about the Autonomous Zone in Seattle. So that is behind a paywall. So um, subscribe, support independent black media. Um, You know, we have a special guest here today and we're going to be talking about um, OPSEC and a bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at AdamHudson5 on Twitter. Uh, this is Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. And uh, joining us, uh, we have uh, Tron from Columbus. Why don't you introduce yourself? What's up, everybody? My name is Tron. I uh, uh, behind the page of Activist Arts. So it's Activist Plus Arts on Twitter. It's Activist Plus Arts on IG. YouTube account is kind of like dormant. YouTube is really annoying. Um, so I kind of upload as much to YouTube. But Instagram is popping right now. Twitter's popping. And uh, so Activist Plus Arts. Uh, check me out there and what uh, what's happening in Columbus. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, yeah. So before we begin, I just want to talk about um, this really just tragic death that happened not too long ago. Uh, a 19-year-old Black Lives Matter activist, her name was Olawatoyan Salau. Um, she was found dead in Tallahassee, Florida uh, on Monday, so a couple days ago couple days before this recording um and yeah she was a very outspoken black lives matter activist very fierce freedom fighter and it's just um i mean this story is just like just 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 fucked up on all levels um she uh she basically described being essentially followed and sexually assaulted by a man on twitter and so that's what just makes even more just like just just disturbing to hear about um and so she was she was found dead in tallahassee she was sexually assaulted and, and murdered by this man so um he's been arrested and charged uh, this guy aaron glee jr who's a 49 year old black man who's been charged with murder and kin- kidnapping apparently he um murdered another woman who's victoria sims who's 75 years old and, and an a aarp volunteer um so I, from what I've heard, like this guy is was base is basically just a predator, and uh, you know a lot of people have been feeling, you know, rightly very upset and angry, and like you know this is just yeah. I mean, we have to find a way to just make uh, black activist spaces um, safe for all black people, um, black women, black trans folks, black queers, and and. Um, you know, especially as a straight cisgender black man, I just I just want to say that, um, and just 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 give like a message of solidarity to Toyin and and other um, people within the black community who are um, living in very very precarious conditions. Because she was also 
um, I, from what I understand, like she lived in, a, in an abusive family. So I think her housing situation was also very precarious as well, which is, I think, why like she, uh, I, I guess, crossed paths with this man. Because I guess like this man who was saying like he, he could help her out with housing or something like that. But anyway, it's, it's just just it's just fucked up all around you know that guy is scum i no love for him at all um rest in peace toyin uh this you know she did not deserve to go out like this and uh yeah i just wanted to just get that off my chest and just you know i think uh we have to you know actually have some security protocols and practices to make the movement um safe for all black folks and and strengthen community bonds so we can prevent this sort of thing uh from happening so anyway yeah rest in peace toyin you did not deserve to go out like this and uh anyway yeah that's just this is that's what i have to say on that i just wanted to mention it because it's very recent news but also just very tragic so yeah i guess i would yeah i mean obviously all of that um you know to the degree to which we haven't sort of talked about those issues you know, on this podcast, it's not that we were ever not going to. It's just, you know, there are a lot of things to talk about. But uh, next week, I, you know, sort of the call of, you know, black men needing to, uh, you know, to talk about this stuff for themselves um, is something that we've definitely heard. And next week we will be getting into it more in depth. So, yeah, we just wanted to uh, provide, you know, a shout out and uh recognition you know this week as you know the story develops because it is all part of the same system it's all part of a system of anti-blackness that sees black lives as you know killable as sort of not null and void and that is you know why the movement exists that's why it's called what it's called um and all that stuff um so sorry to start off on downer but (laughs) These are these are downer times, uh, but as as you alluded to, Adam, um, part of part of the problem is you know developing protocols such that activists can you know and organizers can keep each other safe um, because this is dangerous work and it is work that is being suppressed by the state, you know, actively, and uh, that's why we have uh, our friend Tron here. To, you know, this is more on the digital end, I believe, but to get into some of sort of the basics of, you know, how to, I guess, document, you know, protests and sort of express oneself online in a way that at least, you know, doesn't leave yourself as like an open target. So I don't know where you want to start with it, but. Uh, you want me to talk about what's uh, going on, like just on the ground in Columbus yeah. as far as protesty stuff? That's true. Or then, yes. Yeah. Then you, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, no problem, no problem. Thank Start you for sharing that. that for starting the show with that too, Adam. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so pretty much, yeah. I've been in Columbus pretty much forever and um really got into activism after college, came back to the city and um been protesting and working around police brutality for a while now. And um so on a positive side, I'm really excited to see Columbus show out. I've never seen this before my entire time yeah. doing activism here. On the negative side, I'm fucking tired of this shit. Like, I just want to, like, go home on a fucking ranch. Like, what's that guy's name from uh, Avengers? The purple dude. What's this, Thanos? 
Yeah, I just want to do a fan- <laughs> full of Thanos and just go on some fucking farm and just like pick fruit or some shit. Because I'm like fucking yeah. like, the, you know, I'm just tired of this shit. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the positive yeah. side, it's, it's it's great. So I mean, we talked about in our little pre conversation about Gen Z, and so I'll just I'll, I'll back up a little bit and I'll talk about what happened uh, immediately after George Floyd here in Columbus. So immediately after George Floyd, have uh, there was a there was a man in a black neighborhood on Livingston Avenue here in Columbus. And he was protesting the police. It was him, a woman, and I think two younger teens. But he's out there with a sign and he's pissed. Like, he's just saying, fuck you, fuck the police. His sign in, like, blue, big, big, big blue letters says, fuck the police. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, fuck the police. So Mm. he's on the corner. He's not in the street, anything like that. He'll go in the street a little bit and he'll come back on the sidewalk. So anyway, he's, he's, he's pissed off. And there's a cop across the street. At the uh, at a mental health service building, and he's just watching them. And so after after this goes on, and then the guy's protesting, the cop approaches him, he uh, confronts him, and then the cop just starts manhandling him. Then they get into an altercation, and then of course uh, fifty cops show up, and the guy's pissed off. He doesn't want to be detained. They're detaining him. They're holding him by force. And eventually they arrest this guy, and it blows up on social media, and then the whole neighborhood comes out to protest. And uh, meanwhile, so this happens the day before Thursday, which is when the protests kicked off citywide downtown. And so the next day, people come back. Uh, now it's a lot of white folks. Mostly it was like a lot of the black neighborhood was there. The next day, everyone came out. A lot of white folks came to support and solidarity. So they're holding the black neighborhood down on this block. They take the street. We have some conversations with the police, but nothing too serious. Everyone gets away unscathed. No uh, chemical weapons or anything like that it gets fired. Meanwhile, downtown, that's where you have thousands of people and they're getting blocked by the police and they can't move. So after the, or I'm at the protest in at Livingston for a while. And then uh, I'm also volunteer with the street medics here, uh, Cosmic, here in Columbus. Um, so I work with them from time to time. Um, and we were there. They were also there at the protest downtown. So after we left the first protest in Livingston, we went downtown to go check that out and see what was going on. And um, pretty much when I got there, the, uh, the crowd was at a standstill. The police were occasionally macing people like every 45 minutes. And um, the crowd was getting more agitated. People started throwing more shit at the cops. And the cops mm-hmm. just kept macing people. And then someone had the genius idea of just start smashing shit. And um, so what I was saying earlier about like Gen Z... It was amazing to see uh, so many young people like at this protest, you know, being a activist here and at other protests, um, you don't usually see too many types of people, too many different groups and classes all together at once. And that mm-hmm. was different. Like you had young people, you had people who um, who were outcast by the system, people I knew personally who never went to a protest before like this. And um, so you had like a crazy mix of people and the energy was so fucking high. And it's like you had a lot of um, second generation students, too, uh, of African descent, Somali and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, they weren't taking shit like they were they were ready. And it was great to see that level of energy. And um, and I watched like the people run up to the state house and confront it and breach it and all that kind of shit. And it was like it was scary because it was like, is this Columbus? Like, I can't believe this It's like yeah. <laughs> people usually like they, we get maced. And we go, home. Mm. that's usually mm. what happens. Yeah. And that yeah. didn't happen. People kept getting shot. They kept getting maced and they just kept going at it. And so, um, and that pretty much kind of kicked off the rest of the protests. And it, it was, it was like that as far as like 
property damage and all that kind of shit. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to talk about that. Um, I, I support that shit because that's the only way to get the people to pay attention um, in a nutshell. But, you know, it's like property damage doesn't happen if the police actually behave. If the police did their job and actually respected protesters, there wouldn't be any property damage. Yeah. But that didn't last too long in the city. Um, it was great to see ACAP spray painted everywhere. Fuck 12 was spray painted everywhere. It was like, I don't know, it was like a dream to, to see all this fucking <laughs> pent-up rage just unleashed. Yeah, on this gentrified area. You know, and if you don't know a lot about Columbus and its history, I mean, it, it's it's pretty pro- it's it's pretty corrupt. It's it's um it's a well-maintained corrupt political system. There's been a lot of gentrification here. There's been a lot of tax abatements and defunding of services here, and a lot of wealth has been transferred to the property owners and the property owning class here and the wealth, you know, the elite class here in Columbus. So anyway, it was great to see this protected zone um, you know, get its due because for so long People you say, oh, black people are so stupid because they burn down their own community. Well, when you come to your place of work, uh, now you want to get upset. Now you want to say, oh, yeah. why don't you why don't you burn down the black neighborhood? You know, well, um, but it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What are you going to say? If you're if you're talking about the short north. Right. I mean, that was a oh, that happened too. Yeah, it was. And it, it, yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It started out a black neighborhood and then, you know, sort of intense like policing you know, gentrification, the gentrification shock troop style of policing kind of, you know, for made it into like the arts district. And then it, right. you know, what graduated from being the arts district into basically just like all hotels and just like right. corporate chains. And, it's, you know, the, like the last, the last stage of gentrification where it's like not even for like people in the city. It's exactly. Like, it's just, it's and just that's what for real estate. And that's so yeah. That's so funny you say that because I stopped going there about four years ago because the clientele, the people, well, like I said, a lot of the arts was gone. A lot of the weird, quirky businesses that were there couldn't afford rent anymore. They were gone. So now you're left with a bunch of chains, overpriced places, and then you had the suburban crowd coming there because used to be you know a lot of us in our generation we were there. It was mm. a cool kind of artsy place, and now it's pretty much the suburban mom place and the bro. Buckeye place. Uh, and uh, I had an artist friend. He tried to break up a fight. It's a black man, older black man. He broke up a fight between two white guys. A guy came back, broke a bottle, and stabbed this guy in the eye. He's permanently blind now, but he was an artist and he sold his art on High Street. And now he's permanently blind. Wow. And that's the kind of fucking people who are down there now. And uh, I even talked to business owners who've been down there um, a couple years and they just talked about how much that place has changed. Mm. And um, they don't like the people who shop there and the people aren't. It's funny to hear that. Like you have you have white people complaining about the types of white people that come down to the short north because it's like this arrogance, like all this kind of stuff that are, uh, you know, dangerous. So anyway, this is another side story. Yeah. So short north has pretty much become a a shitty wasteland. And um, I'm glad to see some of that shit get hit, too. Anyway, so long story short, um, that stuff happens. And then things kind of took a turn over the weekend when you had a couple of prominent politicians come downtown. And it was like this whole thing about peaceful protesting and we're going to be peaceful and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, people were peaceful. And can anybody guess what happened? Anyone guess? Mm. They, I, I know what happened. Oh, go ahead, Peter. Go ahead and tell they, me. Uh, they maced. I mean, it, it's very funny because the third congressional district, which is where I my where I grew up, I guess technically, 
at least where it is, the ho- that house is now is mm-hmm. represented by Joyce Beatty, who is like, you know, <laughs> one of those kind of longstanding machine politicians. Right. And she was like facing a primary challenge that I don't, you know, obviously I wasn't in Columbus, but I was following it. And it seemed right. like it had some legs until COVID happened. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, right. Right. So that didn't happen. But then she went, you know, they ended up macing her at the protest. So it was just like, hmm. even even someone who's like supposed to be like upholding the system and everything, it was still like, <laughs> who's been doing the, you know, the job of the bourgeoisie is mm-hmm. still got maced. It was right. like, <laughs> all black politicians, they all got maced at this thing. It was Kevin Boyce, Joe wow. Spady, and President, City Council President Shannon Harden. I, and, which, uh, yeah. when I think about it, was probably <laughs> intentional. I mean, I'm sure the cops knew who they were. Like, seeing some, right. of, the, seeing some of the behavior that the cops have done, like, like when they target, you know, fucking nine-year-old girls or whatever. I mean, it's, right. it's not like they didn't know that they were there. It was like, yes, we're yeah. the point is care. terrorism. Right. And so they got maced at this so-called peaceful protest. And I think that kind of changed the tide as far as like getting at least a little bit of political leadership, acknowledging that this is a serious problem and it's not just a protester problem, that it is actually the police. And, you know, I don't want to go into a whole litany of things that the Columbus police have done, but basically in a nutshell, Columbus police have shot a lot of people unjustly, a lot of black people unjustly, done a lot of crazy shit. You can do a Google search. We've been under a federal investigation, all that kind of stuff. Um, But the city is like a snake. The department is like a snake. They slither and they, they're able to, you know, shake off all this oversight and things like that. Um, so that kind of like was a nice little turning point. And then since then, um, I've been in a lot of rallies. I haven't been as much down there as much these past two weeks or this past week, I should say. I, I try to go on the weekends. But uh, when I was there a few weeks ago, uh, this new group of people came in and they've been... Um, they've been kind of watering down the message and all this kind of stuff. And I don't mm. want to mention their names. I made a post about it on activist arts, but it's like COINTEL ish group kind of came in and tried to take charge of the, of the movement. And these people have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Their demands don't make any sense. And they came out of nowhere. No activists in the city knows who they are. And they, uh, and they're getting meetings. They were getting private meetings with the police department, and all this kind of stuff. So all of it was very suspicious and the media was giving them credit. The media was saying that they are the ones who, um, our leaders and they're the ones who help quell the violence at the protests, which is complete bullshit. You know, there was only property destruction at like two nights of it. And that's because the police didn't give a fuck. Like if they wanted to protect property, they could have, but they didn't care to do mm. that. So that's why anything, and that's their everything. only job too. Right. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, they don't do that. So that's, that's been going on. And like the activist community has been getting together and, uh, putting statements out and stopping that shit down. And there's been a lot of great marches here. There was a, a, a March last Friday. There'll be a, fr- sorry, there was a March last Friday. There'll be another March this Friday of the mothers uh, of victims of police violence. So we had a couple mothers March. They got together and um, it was a really successful March. And you just have a lot of different groups of people down there. And I'm kind of worried. Now you're having like done a conservative black people coming out now, which uh. is very worrying. So, I'm watching this very closely to make sure it doesn't get become a Sunday church service, which on some <laughs> cases it has, which is not good because then it's like whole hand holding all this kind of shit. And then no, nothing ever gets done. Yeah. So yeah. good news is, is that, you know, people are still showing up. People are still being downtown. I mean, last, last weekend was like a block party. 
um, Friday night and Saturday night. I don't know if people are still showing up during the daytime every day like they were the first two weeks, but at least in the weekends, there's a lot of marches, a lot of different groups are coming down, and people are still downtown. The good news is, is that the police have completely shifted their tactics. They've been told to stand <laughs> down. So in the first couple nights of the protest, the police would not let people take the street. And understand this. People could say, well, you have to obey the law. You can't take the street. But listen, if you have 3,000, 5,000 people downtown you on one on area, sidewalk. you can't put them on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. They have to take the street. Like, it's just common sense. So anyway, yeah. that was like the big contention there is like. You step in the street, police lose their shit, and they start shooting it at, at you or whatever. <laughs> and now they just been it's like a demilitarized zone, they're just gone. So like <laughs> we haven't seen them around. Well, at least when I was down there, I haven't seen them around a lot. They're they'll drive around mm. the perimeter and stuff like that. Um, especially when the National Guard was there. Didn't see a lot of cops. And there's guess what happened? Not a lot of crazy shit's been popping off since then. And so that's probably been really um, eye-opening is that I think the police department has kind of seen that they are the problem. At least that's what I get when wow. I watch. Mm-hmm. Nothing nothing bad happened when they're not there, right? Or, or DeWine got him on a call and was just like, guys, yeah. can't. <laughs> and also, <laughs> there's also, ev- there's also evidence. I mean, I feel like anyone who pays attention to police violence, this is not new to them, but it's, uh, there's an article in Huffington Post that states... Uh, Implicit tr- implicit bias trainings don't actually change police behavior. Of course not. Yeah. So uh, this and this is referring to a case. I think I mentioned it before, but Derek Sand- Sanderland. He uh, is a 27 year old community organizer in San Jose, California, and um, he was apparently one of the people who did these implicit bias trainings. And he was shot in the groin with the rubber, rubber bullet at one of the, uh, right. at, at a protest. So, um, yeah, it seems like there's this growing awareness that like, Oh, like no matter how many anti-bias trainings and all uh, body cams is no, it's the problem is the institution of the police. Like they're the yeah, problem and, and the system they exist to uphold. Exactly. And this is why, uh, I've been trying to advocate and educate as much as I can about abolition and trying to do rallies trying to do a teaching right now about abolition we'll see uh if you can get that organized pretty soon but um yeah so abolition is the only way to go and that can be a whole other discussion but pretty much um you can do as many trainings as you want um it comes down to i mean we just have to hit the reset button we have to start over and really and it's not just policing it's public safety like the idea of keeping the public safe what does that actually entail and that's the question that we should be asking not so much what's the new police force going to be it's what does public safety look like a proper I, public safety look like i agree totally agree yeah 100 mm-hmm. percent. and um so yeah that's pretty much what's been going on here i try to go down there as often as i can but being at so many protests and being brutalized at so many different protests it's like it's kind of a yeah. weird it could be a whole other topic as far as like you know Good. burnout and then past trauma and all this kind of stuff so i do go but i don't try to go there as much as possible uh, i'm doing a lot of stuff at home is and um and going down there to help when I feel like it. So it's just kind of, you know, just balancing out those two. Yeah. I, um, I, as some, as some of you guys might know, I'm a freelance journalist and I've been rep- doing it for, um, since 2012 for a long time. And a lot of my writing is about, yeah, police violence. I've, I've been to a lot of protests and meetings and, and seeing how the, how the sausage is made, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and also, uh, 
heard all Shit. the woke police chief speeches. Yeah, I've I've heard <laughs> like I've just been around that stuff, and and, yeah. and 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 also just I've uh talked to too many uh black and brown mothers who've had to uh, exactly you know bury their children who were who were murdered by the police. So I've I've had I've had to confront black death and also deal with my own share of uh racial profiling and stuff like that so it's like not just writing about it but it's like i'm also a character in this story of black suffering that i'm writing and it is true i think that's a you're right tron that like it 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 can lead to burnout and sometimes you have to just just give yourself some space to just yeah not like because you get to a point where it's like yeah we already know what the problem is we've been saying this for a long time and like no amount of uh 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 woke uh bookless is going to fix the problem <laughs> you know what i mean it's like like no it doesn't matter how many times you read you know ibram kendi's how to be anti-racist or uh robin d'angelo's white fragility and and also this stuff it's like the mm-hmm. problem's obvious it's the real thing is like okay what do we do about it like because <laughs> we already know what the problem is at least those of us who've been involved in this shit for a long time and has have seen it up front it's obvious yeah and i i uh try to get myself just prepared for the long haul because as we talk about cybersecurity and all that kind of opsec stuff and even just self-defense it's like there's unless there's only two options which is really hunker down or get ready to leave the country um mm. because i mean all avenues to change have been shut down i mean i just we talked about joyce Beatty's challenger and covid and you know the election and the whole trump trying to shut down mailing i mean all this so all in the i don't even know where to start it's just like any yeah. avenue that's that can actually change, we're we're seeing crazy barriers, very high barriers too, and so it's like we're really gonna have to really fuck shit up for the next couple months or years to get the elites to back down, or at least to get some control over parts of the yeah. system. Yeah, and they're not in a position where they feel like they have to give us anything because exactly, yeah, there's no there's no threat to capitalism on a po- geopolitical stage, and if anything. They think, you know, like American workers have had it too easy. And, <laughs> right. And I yeah. mean, I mean, straight up, you know, like talking about the Midwest, especially where like it is like, yeah, you know, the Midwest is getting pitched to, you know, Chinese firms for mm. investment and stuff. And that's a whole other situation. But it's important to understand that like the, you know, even the degree to which like the American workforce is you know been bought off by imperial super profits those are mm. those pro that that payoff is going to become less and less and you know the distance between the first and third world let's say not that black america is a first world country because it isn't but mm-hmm. that you know that distance that sense of like america you know as as like having it good is going to it's going to get smaller and so you know People, yeah, gotta have the long view for this stuff because there's, you know, there there's no way anything is going to get better until we make it better. I right. yeah, and I want to uh, emphasize a point Peter just made because I think it's really important that you know if if Black America were its own country, it wouldn't be like on the level, like it would not be a first world country in terms of yeah. like economic development, GDP, and all that. So, um. Yeah, like, so we have to think about, like, what's in it 
you know, for a long haul for black America. And also, oh wait, the reason why I brought this up is because I think there is always this assumption that black America would be able to reap the benefits of the American project. But I think what's becoming more and more abundantly clear is that, uh, you know, that we were never intended to reap the benefits of America, despite having being kidnapped from Africa and brought here as slave labor, yeah. Yeah. right? Like that, like that was never part of the deal <laughs> during slavery. It's like, no, you come here and work, but we're not going to give you the uh, benefits of, of, of this thing called America, even though like you helped build the entire the economic foundation of the country, you're not supposed to benefit from this. So at some point, like, you know, I think with, with these, uh, these protests, hopefully it's becoming a lot more clear to people that like, okay, you can, you know, try to integrate all you want, but like the system's not designed to give you equal economic spoils because that was never part of the contract that was signed between, uh, white, white American society and black America. Was never part of the deal. So the question is, what what does Black America do for going from here? Right. And there was a real quick story, but I was listening to a podcast on NPR. It was a fresh air interview about the Chicago nineteen nineteen riots, and um, I think one of the recommendations from this white group was that uh, we should just let the Negroes die out, and that'll solve the race problem, and that will prevent future riots. Like that was their actual suggestion, uh-huh. and it's like that's been I think the official uh, plan of action for white people for the past couple hundred years, which is just, just let the Negro die out. And then we won't have to worry about the race problem anymore. It'll solve itself. Yeah. yeah but, problem is, problem is or not. We don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think cause uh, there's people who want that, but then there's also the uh, projection of America as like the e pluribus unum and democracy and all that. So it's like, how do you, it's 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 going to be hard for America to say to the world that like yeah we believe in democracy and we're all one but like we have this problem when it comes to black people and our solution is just, is just to kill them. It's going to be hard to like yeah. like at least in the in terms of legitimacy like the system's legitimacy is it's going to be like it can't you, but, you can't say that out in the open is my point <laughs> they can't but, some but people do but. it may just not matter because I mean whatever kind of cold war shit we're trying to bring back up with china i mean the ideological argument really is and whatever people think about china um i know we're getting sidetracked but (laughs) i think this is a good discussion um whatever people think about china i mean they aren't really making like an idea there isn't like an ideological geopolitical battle being waged between the united states and china and so yeah that's quite you know the only reason you could get the bourgeoisie back in the 50s and 60s to get on board with like civil rights in many ways was because it was like such you know great propaganda for the soviet union and it was like as the soviet union you know was assisting in anti-colonial struggles in africa it was like hey check out you know the american empire and this is what they do to black people Mm -hmm. and you know there is not even there isn't even that buy-in i mean there really is no there's no reason for, you know, the bourgeoisie to they don't have any compelling interest to give us to give an inch right now is what I think people have to understand. Mm-hmm. So, so, wait, so, be... so Tron, what, what would be your advice, uh, I guess, when it comes to, I guess, 
basic sort of, uh, I guess, like OPSEC when it comes to this kind of activism? Like, what do you, what do you think works? I think, uh, oh man, is, where did I start? It's so funny because uh, when I was first asked about OPSEC, it's something I've been doing for a while, but in a, in a limited basis. But I was like, what is OPSEC? And I was like, oh, so I had to go Google that. And I was like, oh, okay. I actually understand what all this stuff is. I've been doing it for a while, which is kind of funny. But um, it's like operational security. You know, what are some things that we can do to keep ourselves safe online? And I, for the full disclaimer, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. Uh, kind of a hobbyist. Mm. I, will, I really uh, decided to turn my channel, my uh, platform, my social media platform into kind of a, um, I, I'm really into art. And really into activism, so that's why Activist Plus Arts. But I also want to turn it into like a kind of a, a cybersecurity kind of OPSEC kind of portal for activists to, to disseminate information. So I've been slowly, slowly, slowly doing research on a couple things when I have time to do uh, them. And then kind of just releasing it out to my friends and stuff like that about what to do, what use, what to use and what not to use. And so basically, just trying to say that I'm not an expert. If I say some shit wrong, you know, you know don't hold me too guilty i'm trying okay but um but basically i got a few things that we can talk about now and it's like uh being in this work for a while and like speaking calling people out and things like that and then just being just being outspoken in general comes with risk and just like you said with toyin earlier with the example that um she was stalked on social media and just putting yourself on social media in any capacity puts yourself at risk when you're especially when you're challenging the system or anything like that you know, you're definitely, this is stuff is real. And it's like your online life can definitely intersect with your real life. So you just need to be really, really need to be careful. And it kind of hit home with me just going out through my life is I've kind of had like many doxes. So like we talk about doxing, you know, getting mm. exposed online and stuff like that. So I'll tell a couple quick stories of uh, my experience. It's like one of them really kind of harmless was like uh, as someone who used to be an educator. I worked at middle school and all these kids would do is Google your name. And then they would show you what they found on Google. And mm. this is stuff that I had no control over as far as like what was on the internet. So like they were pulling up stuff in college, like good things I did in college. Right. So nothing harmful, but still it's creepy to see this kid pull up pictures and say, is this you? Oh, and then read all this stuff and they ask you a whole bunch of questions. And so it's from one, from just understanding that everything you do in your life is documented online and it's going to stay there forever. And a lot of this stuff is under, is not, may not be under your control. And so when we talk about OPSEC, you always want to be careful about putting your real name out there and what you want linked to you and even giving media report, sorry, even giving media interviews to the media about what you're doing and things like that, because it can all come back. So that's kind of a harmless example is just having a bunch of young people Google you and it's really annoying, you know, uh, them trying to figure out your interests and all that kind of stuff. And they could just ask you questions that you would answer, but no, they'll Google you and right in front of you while you're trying to teach a lesson and then uh, ask a million questions about what they found online. And it's really creepy. Um, so there's that part of, there's that part of it. Uh, another situation was uh, I made this spoof of a certain project of a group that I really didn't like. This was like a, a corporate conservative group that's kind of corrupt here in the city. I made a spoof of their uh, media project and pretty much the, their law firm docks me because I was, I was just pretty sloppy the way I posted it. And they linked, you know, did a Google search and it linked back to who my identity was. And so I got a cease and desist order from a law firm to stop disseminating this this project, this parody that I made. And I was like, damn, I really got to take this shit seriously. So that was another, that was a big wake up call. 
that, um, you know, could have gotten sued uh, for putting this project out. And it was pretty popular, too. So it was getting a lot of shares and a lot of follows and um, had to shut it down. And I think um, there was one more story about that. There probably is. Oh, yeah. Another situation was just like back in college, I had a Twitter account. But of course, this Twitter account wasn't tied to my real identity. But I pissed somebody off and they went on a whole tirade about my account and stuff like that. And that could have been damaging if I uh, linked it to my real name and things like that. And then even like back in high school, I did stand up comedy and like I wasn't that funny, but it was fun to do. So even thinking about telling the jokes that I used to tell back then before I became woke, you know, they'd be very inappropriate today. And it's kind of jokes that I it's material that I definitely don't want out there now. But um, even thinking about this, I made sure to delete that stuff a long time ago. So basically mm. all these kind of stories just kind of remind you that, you know, everything that we do um, that ends up online is going to be there permanently. And so we really just need to think twice when we post stuff, stuff that's hanging around that we need to delete. We should get rid of it. Stuff yeah. that's hanging around in your computer that you're not, that you uh, forgot about that may be incriminating or looks terrible. You should delete it. Um, get rid of all that stuff. So I'll talk about a couple things. I don't even know where you want me to start. Like talk about browsing or like just being an activist yeah. and stuff like I, that. What do you want? I think um, I think maybe if you want to talk about like VPNs and yeah, what what a VPN is and why you should think about using one. Yeah, so a VPN. Everyone should get one right now. Um, the sad part is is that a good VPN is going to cost you money. But the good news is is that with a VPN, so VPN is a virtual private network. It basically encrypts the data that you're sending through the internet. And so encryption just means that it's using math, mathematical problems and algorithms to basically code the messages that you're sending. And to crack those codes um, would take a very, very, very long time, if not be impossible. So you have a very strong encryption. And the also good thing is that it hides your location. And so when we talk about searching the internet with your phone and with the, uh, your computer, having your information given or revealed can be can get, get you doxxed. You know, someone can figure out your true identity by getting your, uh, your location. So basically, everyone has an IP address when they connect to the internet through their laptop and even through phones, but that's a different story because mobile networks work differently. But for right now, let's just focus on computers. So when you connect your laptop or device to Wi-Fi, you're giving an IP address, which is basically your, ad your address for how people can find you. And so what a VPN does is that it uh, it gives a fake IP address. So it kind of like tricks the server. Or sorry, all the information goes to the provider, the VPN server. And so it's telling your internet provider like Spectrum or WoW or those people that, hey, you're not really in Columbus, Ohio. You're really in Canada or you're in Las Vegas or California. And so... That's important is because number one, your data is encrypted. So the third parties, the trackers, the Google, all the stuff that tracks you to sell you stuff and to sell your data um, has a much harder time doing that. And people can't figure out where you really are um, when you have that VPN. So as I said before, VPNs, the negative downside is that they're expensive. Not really expensive. I shouldn't say that, but they cost money, a good one. And you shouldn't use a free one because... We actually don't know. This cure is just less secure, and we right. don't know if they're actually protecting your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So, the good thing about VPNs is that usually when you buy one, you get like five licenses. So, excuse me, I got to like burp, but it's not coming out. All right, there we go. So anyway, <laughs> <the> VPN. 
<laughs> you get like a couple licenses with it. And I've been using NordVPN just because it was pretty cheap for what I got. I paid like 80 bucks, but I kept it for two years, two or three years, I think. I have to check the license, but it might have been three years. So anyway, it's not too bad. It's like a couple bucks a month um, over that time span. But I get a couple licenses so I can give those out to people. Or you could have maybe five people all chip in and pay that 80 bucks and then you're protected for two to three years depending on a license. So um, yeah, using VPN as much as possible. And then also when you get Nord, you can use it for your phones as well. So you've got the phone encryption and you've got stuff for your laptop, which is good. So speaking of VPNs, it's just like by this point, everyone should have one because the internet has been con become so monetized now. And it's so easy to figure out who you are just by having your IP address. So if you're doing activist work, especially, um, even if you're just an average person, it can be kind of annoying to have your stuff being followed and tracked all the time. I don't know if you ever noticed this, like when you Google something and it shows up on your Instagram ads or anything like that, or you Google something and then you're on another website and then the ad pops up for what you search for. So all that stuff comes through when you don't have a VPN. These third parties are reading your data traffic and they're basically packaging up and selling it off to these uh, advertisers. And so with a VPN on, you're kind of stopping that in its tracks. And um, I like that. So you kind of see the real world effects of what happens when you use a VPN. Another benefit of having a VPN is like Netflix. So let's say I want to watch some shit that's illegal for me to watch in the United States. And when I say illegal, it's like, you know, you have licensing deals that, that these movie studios have and stuff like that. So basically there's certain stuff that I can watch in France that I can't watch in the United States. But with a VPN, I can fake my location, say I'm in France, and then watch stuff uh, that's only for a French audience or a Mexican audience. So I've been able to watch the Michael Jordan documentary uh, that was on Netflix. It wasn't. It was only on Netflix outside of the United States because of licensing deals and Disney and all that kind of garbage. But with the VPN, I was able to watch it, had a good time. Mm. And so it's another benefit of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to say that. Um... You know, there was a period when I like watched Al Jazeera English all the time, and it was when they were trying to launch Al Jazeera America, they took Al Jazeera English off of like the American internet. So, yeah, I had to get a VPN. I had to do a VPN to pretend I was from England and <laughs> mm. to, just to be able to watch Al Jazeera. And I think, like, you know, you want to watch like a Canadian broadcasting company documentary or something like that, they are also good for that. Um, right. And I think another situation or another part of that is also using an onion router or tour. And um, they kind of both protect your, you uh, on, they both protect you online, but in different ways. And so let's say that you can't really afford a VPN. But then the second option I would suggest to you is to use a tour browser. And so basically it hides your identity like a VPN, but it does it in a different way. And so basically how I explain this is like, it's called an onion router because it has several different layers. So there's several different layers of encryption and your location bounces randomly around a bunch of different people's um, locations that are hosting tour, if that makes any sense. Hmm. So the negative side about this is that your internet traffic is going to be really slow. And because your traffic is bouncing around to a bunch of random locations under multiple layers of multiple layers of encryption, some websites just won't work really well. Another thing is, is that because so Tor started out as a project of the Navy. And so it's not this this government platform that just wide open to the government. However, because it was created by the Navy, if if they uh, wanted to spy on you and you're only using Tor, there are vulnerabilities in Tor 
that could expose you. Uh, so most people, su- yeah. well, everyone suggests that you run both. Like you, if you're going to do anything crazy, you should run Tor and you should run a VPN at the same time to get fully anonymous. And I've done both. And um, to do things, especially like going on the dark web and things like that, if anyone goes there, you need to run both. Don't just run Tor browser. So why why they're so why a VPN would be better than Tor is that when you run a Tor browser, it's basically like Firefox, right? It's like Google Chrome. And so everything on that browser goes through Tor. However, a VPN is on all internet traffic. And so that's why it's better to have a VPN over Tor is that everything, every, every piece of data is encrypted, but through Tor, only what you search through gets encrypted. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And if you want to take it a step up, um, let's say you don't want to pay for a VPN, then you should run a Linux system on your computer. Just get a flash drive, get a 16-bit gigabyte flash drive, and run Tails or another one called Hoonix. I've run Tails before. I have a Mac, and um, it was pretty easy to set up. And so I ran Tails. And what Tails is, is that it's um, it's a Linux operating system that you boot separately from your Mac or your Windows or whatever. And um, you do everything through there. And the whole browser is running through Tor. So not just your, what your, sorry, the whole operating system is running through Tor. And so running a VPN through that is complicated and not really necessary. But that's another way that you can get protected online, especially when you're doing searches and things like that. Now doing like running Linux Tails is like really excessive. And I would only suggest you do that if you're doing things on the internet that you really don't want to be tracked on, you know, but if you're just going to search for socks to go shop on Amazon, it's not really necessary. Um, like I said, things about uh, Googling stuff about the government or about activism and, and secure communications, well, then it's probably an option you want to look into. So those are three kind of basic options to protect you while you're searching online, which is number one, get a VPN. Number two, run tour. Number three, run both Tor and a VPN. And number three, um, look into Linux Tails and run that off a of flash drive. Mm. That's called a live OS, running a live OS. So those are kind of three ways for basically searching on the internet. Um, as far as like mobile communications, I looked in that as well. And that's just the whole, you know, another can of worms. But basically, I was uh, I was looking into this thing called an MZ catcher or a Stingray. And a lot of us know about that because... We've heard about it before, how the police use them to monitor your communications and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, so, and it's like, it's, it's, um, mobile networks are very different than how the internet works. And so basically what I found out was that the, uh, the FBI gets a hold of these devices and they've, they've been the ones who sell these to police departments and the police departments have been using these to actually, they were supposed to use it for terrorism and all that kind of stuff, but of course they use it for not just drug, not just drug busts, but as, but um, absolutely useless things. There was a guy I can't remember the story anymore, but there was a guy who stole a purse or a bike. It was something like really stupid, and they actually used the Stingray to monitor his uh, his information, and they used it in court against him. And then the lawyers were trying to figure out how they knew all this stuff, and they were basically able to convince the judge to not reveal that information. And so hmm. the government. Yeah, the government has the police departments have used the courts to shield how exactly they're collecting your data. And what's in what I really wanted to talk about are uh, on, top, on top of searching um, uh, the internet with with encryption and stuff like that is metadata. And metadata is the killer when it comes to figuring out who you are and doxing people, especially from the government. So when I talk about metadata, you know, if, if me and you have a conversation. And someone's listening on it, you know, they're listening to all the words we say and they're getting a whole story and a narrative and things like that. What metadata is, how that's different is that basically they can see that 
I'm on the internet talking to you for a certain period of time, but they don't know what yeah. we're actually talking about. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Metadata wait, is just say, like the, uh, I just wanted to mention, yeah. Metadata is just like the connection between two, two points of information is not the content of the information itself. Right. And you can, there's so many fascinating stories about this. Cause I was watching another story today about how the uh, CIA was using metadata to track terrorists. Yeah. But if you want to know how the government is using that, just go Google stories about that and you'll find a ton of great stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Just to explain that. Yeah. Like basically for drone strikes, um, the U.S. military and CIA, uh, they're not using on the ground assets to find out which target they have to kill. So like when it comes to this idea of targeted killing, they're not really targeted, but uh, you know, they're not sending like assets on the ground. What they're doing is tr uh, tracking cell phone metadata to look at patterns of behavior right. in order in order to analyze like, okay, based on these patterns of behavior, uh, this person's affiliated with like Al Qaeda or ISIS, and that's usually the information that they're using to conduct uh, drone strikes or any kind of quote unquote uh, targeted killing. And mm -hmm. that's all like through like the NSA helps them with that. The NSA like that's the Really, the NSA specialty is tracking that kind of information. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. So yeah, like, yes. It's like cell phone metadata can tell you a lot about a person's day-to-day -day activities without actually uh, even going into text. Which gets in the whole, like, surveillance debate. Because some people are like, well, they're not reading your text messages. They're just looking at metadata. Well, metadata. Though they can't, they can also just kind of. Right, right. That's what I don't know if that's the stingray or what it is, but they can, especially like if everyone has their phone together at a protest, they can mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of sweep down and scoop up every single text message anyone is sending. Right. Yeah. At a that's why I want to. If it's not encrypted. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to get into too. Is that the MG catcher? What people think it is is like, oh, you know, they can listen in on your calls on which message you're sending, but that's not it. They what they need is your IMSI or your MZ, and when they have that. <laughs> they've got that permanent back door to uh to your phone and so there's like what peter said they're scooping up all these mzs at once mm -hmm. and then once they have that they pretty much have access to your your metadata and things and even your messages they can send you messages too if you wanted to as well yeah there's actually a couple hackers who've built their own mz catcher and able to do exactly what the stingray can do which is also pretty scary too another crazy thing is that the phone companies knew about this and they basically left the door open so the government could do yeah. what it needed to do. So yeah. the phone companies know, and it runs on your SIM card. Your SIM card is the culprit about this because yep. it runs this weak encryption or basically unencrypted. Um, so like when you send a message to your, your, your mobile phone, it goes to a cell tower and the cell tower has to authenticate that you're a paying customer before it passes the data on. And so pretty much that, that permission is basically unencrypted and it's pretty wide open. And that's what's used um for the police to pretty much get into your phone and so the phone companies could encrypt that and there's actually a way around that you can get a an, uh, an encrypted sim there are several places to buy some of those um there's also running a linux phone as well um but anyway so there's kind of no way around that situation besides doing the extreme measures which is leaving your phone at home taking a sim card out or running a uh, an encrypted sim card which is not offered by the major phone carriers um so that was the kind of insidious part about that. And uh, going back to the story I was saying earlier, there was a group of spies in Italy who were spying on um, Muslim assets or whatever you want to call it. And um, basically, the, it's a funny story because these CIA people 
they didn't use their phones properly. And the Italian authorities noticed a bunch of these inconsistencies um, with these people in their country. And so, and then a man disappeared. They kidnapped the CIA kidnapped a man in Italy. Italian authorities looked into it and they realized that these were CIA agents doing operas, doing operations in their country, which was illegal at the time. So the the C the um, the CIA was using these cell towers to catch terrorists or supposed terrorists, and the Italian authorities used cell towers to catch the CIA agents and capture them. Yeah. And then you also had Hezbollah in Lebanon know know about this, and they also exposed all the CIA assets in Lebanon because they watched the CIA's um, cell traffic. And so it's like this, uh, it's so incredibly it ironic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I also want to clarify, like, especially when it comes to these, you know, whenever you hear, you hear a report of like, Oh, a drone strike killed uh, 12 like militants or terrorists. The thing about metadata is that you can't really prove definitively that the person you killed is an, is an actual terrorist you're just assuming based on metadata tracking but you know it's it was like there is that long and if story military age men maybe. right and yeah. they're you yeah and so yeah and so like also with with stories on the ground uh when it comes to drone strikes oftentimes what will happen is that because a lot of people on the ground know that their 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 uh, sim their sim cards are being targeted. What they'll do is they'll take out the sim card and sw and switch them out. So mm -hmm. some or it's like it could be like okay, like uh, someone maybe just lends their phone to someone else, but then because the CIA and U.S. military was tracking that phone, they would send a strike and kill that person. So it's like that's the thing is you know especially when you read stories about um, quote unquote targeted killing, like they aren't always getting the right people like they're determining who the right person is based on just metadata but mm -hmm. the thing is like they can easily spin like hey this program's successful because we killed x number of militants using this algorithm and it just kind of you know uh perpetuates the the the, the need uh, i guess to yeah that's robert mcnamara all over again that's, it is uh... <laughs> pretty much yeah it's just if mcnamara had like access to computers and cell phones that's pretty much what he would do yeah it's very um simple. so yeah i want to but i want to kind of draw some things out which is that like you know sometimes and look i'm the first one to say i've been really sloppy about this stuff and it has kind of <laughs> you know maybe constrained my actions or something i'm not i'm not you know we're not obviously we're not promoting anyone commit any illegal activity on this podcast just so everyone is clear um, but, you know, as, as, you know, things to understand, which is that, like, what kind of surveillance powers does your local police department have versus, like, what kinds of the federal government have mm -hmm. and, you know, what makes them get involved in certain things. So, you know, I think probably maybe, like, the NYPD and the LAPD may have the advanced, like, encryption hacking uh, technology, but they not, they, they won't, they, they're not going to use that necessarily on everyone. Um, you have to be like a high value target for them to kind of for it to go right. up to that level of the food chain. And, you know, right now, you know, local activists, of course, they are surveilling and watching anyone who is appears publicly. I mean, they fit they videotape every uh, they videotape every protest. They run any uncovered face. They run everyone's faces through facial recognition softwares. 
Yeah. Um, so those are all things, you know, that's that's kind of what was funny about this time around was that like, oh, now everyone's allowed to wear a mask. So <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of helped things out. Um, and yeah, they can um, they can call Verizon or Comcast or Spectrum or whoever. And if you aren't using a VPN like Spectrum, you know, your IS, your Internet provider like I don't I'm not sure for how long, but they do keep a record of basically everything you've, um, you know, browsed. And I think maybe even in private mode. So and, that was, you know. when, and what makes that really scary besides uh, they have to get a warrant, I believe, to do that part as far as like getting, getting uh, communications from your provider. However, with the with the MZ catcher and stuff like that, we're talking about a lot of gray area and warrantless yeah. tapping, which yeah. makes it even worse. Yeah. yeah, and also like this is relevant, but like the, uh, we talked about, I think last month about um, the the bill. I don't know if it uh, was on tr- got on, got to Trump's desk yet, but like there is the reauthorization for the Patriot Act, oh, yeah, and yeah. and there is a there is an amendment um, proposed to basically. Um, I think was, I think Mitch McConnell wanted to expand the surveillance powers of the FBI mm-hmm. uh, to look at your uh, search browser history, mm-hmm. and there is an amendment in the bill to basically curtail giving the FBI that power. Now the thing is, like with these agencies, like if it's not the FBI looking at it, it's probably the NSA, and so it's like, yeah, you know, uh, and it's and it's important to even understand. Um, sorry to cut you off. No, but- it's cool. Um, it's important to understand like how the NSA surveils things and their kind of definition of surveillance. So what the NSA actually does is they kind of just hook a giant splitter cable to like the main cables that like contain all the internet traffic, like the ones that go across the bottom of the Pacific ocean or Mm -hmm. in San Francisco at the AT&T headquarters, there's, you know, I don't remember the name of the room, but there is a doorless room. And in that is basically just like a giant splitter. And it go and that just gets sent to like the NSA servers. And they just basically run a copy of the Internet. I mean, the NSA like main data facility in D.C. literally has its own power plant. That's how much (laughs) that's how much data. But, you know, that's too much for any human being to look at. So, yeah you know they do that then they run it through algorithms and of course right. you better believe that they have an algorithm for blm you know black identity extremism oh, yeah, yeah, quote yeah. unquote mm-hmm. so you know as we mentioned earlier um you know an organizer i followed on instagram um on oh. one of his stories yeah yeah in columbus like it he posted a picture of the columbus city budget and it was flagged as potentially false information you know, yeah, so yeah, so the so these you know, and that's Instagram has these algorithms. So everyone has these algorithms, but they the NSA doesn't consider it surveilled until a human being looks at the results of that. So they have everything, but because they a human being hasn't looked at it, it doesn't count in their definition of it being sur- of that person being surveilled. So that's mm-hmm. important to understand. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't, I don't remember specifically, but I think there was a while back where it was like, yeah, they don't need a, like the FBI still needs a warrant to tap, to tap your phone. But what they don't necessarily need a warrant to do, depending on the company is ask Google or Amazon for all the recorded stuff that you, right. 
spoken and that they record. Right. They can, right. You mm-hmm. know, those companies are pretty um, compliant. You know, it's, I mean, we'll see. You know, they they like to put up a front about how we value your data and privacy. But at the end of the day, they they're not they're not going to no. go against the government, you know, to protect no. the privacy of their users. They're not going to risk anything. Yeah, especially, yeah, the iPhones and stuff, you guys got to get rid of those like immediately because it's just gotten worse and worse as far as um, what you can, because it it makes Android a better choice in this day and age as you just have options to protect yourself. So like one of the one of the things is like Wi-Fi scanning. So to figure out where you are at any point in time, your phones are constantly searching for Wi-Fi networks. And then within six feet with Wi-Fi triangulation, we can figure out exactly where you are. And so you can turn your GPS off, but that's really not enough because your Wi-Fi can still ping and scan. Now, if you have an Android device, you can go on your settings and turn Wi-Fi scanning off. iOS, you can't do that at all. And so, and iOS keeps limiting how much you can manipulate the, uh, the, the OS or this operating system. And then at least with an Android phone on some phones, you can wipe Android off and then install Linux, um, mm, which yeah. makes it more, yeah, so you have more control. Root, rooting your yeah. phone is something that, um, you should not do lightly because you can mess it up. And, you can break the phone and turn um, it into a brick. But <laughs> with <laughs> iOS, it gets worse and worse. And so, yeah. if you have an iPhone, don't look to upgrade to another iPhone. Uh, make that switch to Android. And I have a couple things too, Peter and Adam. I wanted to say earlier about um, when you search in the internet through the uh, laptop and stuff like that is a uh, browser fingerprinting. And so, basically, and if you mentioned this early, Peter. Uh, you mentioned this early as well. Depending on who you are, um, you're going to have a different plan of action for OPSEC. So if I'm a fugitive on the run, I'm going to have a completely different plan than a soccer mom in Montana, right? And so figure out what you, who you are in this big web yeah. of, inter- of the internet and world and what your position is, and then make a plan according to that. So like how secure should you be and all that kind of stuff depends on what you're doing. And so like, um, like browser fingerprinting is another good thing to think about too. So when you're searching for stuff on the internet, um, Google, Google Chrome should be only used for basically shopping. And that's what I kind of use Google Chrome to do is to shop and maybe to use Twitter or something like that. Just because, so like I said, I'm running a Mac and Linux and things like that, but mostly Mac and a lot of websites just happen to work better on Chrome. And that's when I have Chrome for, or just really light stuff that doesn't really compromise who I am. Anything that I want private that includes looking up health questions, mental health questions, pornography, any kind of things like that you want to move off of Google, off of Safari, you want to go to Firefox, or there's a lot of other private browsers that you want to go to. But yeah, um, yeah open up Firefox, open the private tab, and then search through there. Anything that can prove who you are, you do not want to use through a regular browser like Safari or Chrome. And um, also, when we uh, go into our websites, so yeah, have a dedicated browser for depending on what you want to do. And then um, disinformation is another part of OPSEC. You always want to have different names, different birth dates, and you want to lie on as many social media accounts as you can. And it's kind of funny because I was kind of like hip to this back when I was a teenager when Facebook first came out because I changed my name and everybody got confused on Facebook when I took my legal name off and I didn't understand it. And it turns out that was probably the smartest thing I could have done. Now everybody does it. Um, Because it's obvious what what Zuck is doing and how people, how your identity can be completely compromised. And doxing people, the easiest way to do that is through Facebook. I can do a reverse image search on your, with facial recognition, and it will take me back to your Facebook profile. And that's all I need. And then my mom actually got stalked 
on Facebook. It was a crazy story. Like she, um, she told me the story of some woman that she hasn't seen in 35 years came up to her workplace that she doesn't. And this is a completely different city. And she says, Oh, I, uh, I saw you on Facebook and I saw that you worked here. And, and she wanted to have this conversation with my mom. My mom was just like creeped out. Like lady, I haven't seen you in 30 years. You haven't called me. Like, I don't know who you are. You just randomly show up at my workplace. Mm. So once again, yeah, all this stuff comes back to what you're putting out there online. So on my accounts, I have fake names, multiple birth dates, and multiple places um, that I, where I was born. So when someone does try to look you up, you want to have a lot of confusion. And when you search on the internet, even with a VPN, you are creating somewhat of a profile. But when you obscure stuff through a VPN, when you're using different browsers, when you're using different names and birth dates, you're confusing the AI as far as who you are. And so when someone does want to search you or a third party does want to search to sell your data, it's pretty much unusable. And so think about those two things, too, um, when you're searching the Internet. Have multiple browsers, put fake information out there, and LinkedIn, get rid of it. I'm going to delete mine pretty soon as well. Mm. Um, if you want to get a job and things like that, you know, just work on your resume and then send that in. Um but I think those are two things I did, forgot to mention. And that's going to happen a lot. I'm going to jump back and forth <laughs> to all the stuff I forgot to say earlier. Mm. I didn't mean to cut you guys off. No, that's that's important. I mean, and also, like, especially when, I mean, we're, we're, we're already a little bit over an hour. But I just want to add particularly about um, Google and Amazon. Um, because these, these companies are basically... I mean, people will nitpick about, well, it's not actually a monopoly, blah, blah, blah. But, like, for the <laughs> most part, like, these companies are virtual monopolies in terms of how much right. they control the flow of internet traffic. So, and that's their business model. Like, their business model is to make money off of selling information. Um, I mean, there's this, like, there's this phrase that I, I, I think is useful. Like, you know, if, if it doesn't cost anything to use uh, Google or Facebook, that's because you are the product, right? Mm, yeah. Like you, you, uh, each of us who use social media, we are the product for these companies like Google, uh, Facebook. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, you have to pay for stuff on Amazon, but like, you know, Amazon pretty much is like, they are just making bank right now with this pandemic because since it's you know because of the shutdown everyone's been having to order stuff from amazon and by the way when it comes to uh ordering stuff online just stay away from amazon try to support other distributors exactly you know uh i you know my my dad's an amazon worker um you know and uh also the treatment of amazon workers is pretty shitty Especially with the pay and stuff, but, so, but, but, also, but yeah, like these companies, like I just just to wrap up on this point, but like because they are basically monopolies, their business model is predicated on selling your information, and they're pretty much working hand in hand with the government to uh, steal your information, basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I yeah I want to zero in um, on you know the idea that like oh well the private companies yes they collect all your data but it's just to sell you ads or something and therefore yeah, it no. seems like creepy but anodyne um no the government can then just go and be like i want the data profile on this person exactly and, and yeah. then they get then they get to basically learn all re everything you've done so mm -hmm. you know some of this stuff is like i you know on some level i've kind of accepted it you know, because I've just, I've been not 
careful about a lot of things, you know, and I part of me just wants to see like what the government would try to bring up <laughs> if they ever <laughs> if they ever tried to arrest me or whatever. But and I think oh yes, keep going. But it is you know for people who value their safety more than I do, um, yeah, it, it's important to understand that. Running, yeah, running stuff that prevents that kind of mass amount of data accumulation is also like for security. And, you know, anyone who is organizing against police brutality um, in their communities are being watched by the police. Absolutely. Yeah. 100 percent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they you know, they can depending on, uh, you know, how much trouble you make, they may kick you up, you know, to higher levels or, you know put you under more surveillance um Mm -hmm. because you know i like yeah they need a warrant to tap your phone but i'm pretty sure they don't need a warrant for like the metadata of your call logs from to get that from like your phone company yeah Um, yeah no they they can they can just they can just ask the they can just ask the phone company and you know phone company nine times out of ten will give it to them you because they they don't care about you and then they get to see basically who you called and for how long. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, people talk about Signal a lot as like an encrypted messaging platform um, that, you know, activists and organizers use. I guess in your estimation, how safe is that and how important is it to use the Signal? I am... I'm on the signal. I'm sorry. I'm on the signal bandwagon now. I kind of hated it because it was like annoying having two different sets of like messaging because I had you know stuff. Some stuff would come to me, and then um, to my regular messaging platform, and then some stuff would just go straight to Signal, and it was really annoying as fuck. But um, I have Signal now on my laptop, and that's what I mostly use it now. I kind of don't use it that much on my phone, but Signal is it's good. And um, from the research that I've gathered, it's probably the most secure. It's more secure than email because well. That's a caveat to that. It's more secure than email in a way that email can give up. Email can leak your email. Email can leak your uh, IP address. Excuse me. So even email addresses can leak your IP address, which is a problem. Um, and of course, with these companies running these big servers that have your that store your emails, you know, if the government wanted to request your email, they could take that off the company. But with Signal, like I said, everything's encrypted, and so you have that layer of protection. The problem with Signal, the only huge vulnerability is with linking to your phone number so if you can set up with a google number or get that encrypted sim card i mean my cell phone is a huawei it's the uh the chinese oh, phone. nice I, re- I have a huawei hmm. too they're great phones, oh nice actually yes yeah, um, so i have the dual sim thing and right you could have one sim runs you have a secure sim hmm. running a number that's only for signal so that's that's the only problem with signal is that um you can you have to actually you don't have to link it to your cell phone number you don't have to do that but i did it the wrong way and I'm trying to figure out how to get that off and then use a never use another number. Yeah. Um, so that's the only downside, but signal should be okay. I know a lot of people are talking about Slack. Um, Slack has been, can be government records can be requested off of Slack. Um, that has been done. But as far as like the, the, the uh, government request to remove data from Slack, there hasn't been a lot of that, but I know that's going to increase pretty soon. So, I mean, yeah. if you're not, if you're just talking about regular stuff, I wouldn't worry about Slack too much, yeah. but I keep everything on Signal, especially about the operations, the street medics, future actions. Yeah, yeah any yeah. anything that's coordinating directions or actions or like telling people where to go, that's the stuff right. that needs to be encrypted. Also, um, if, if people didn't know, 
Zoom recently came out and said that they're not, the reason they're not encrypting their calls is because they want, you know, future FBI contracts. So Zoom, yeah. Zoom yeah. Um, is very, very not good. So I, I, I want to, a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece in Alternate about how Google and big tech companies help the U.S. war machine. I, I want to pull up some quotes from sources I talked to. Uh, one guy, Robert Steele, he's a former um, Marine and CIA case officer, but now he's like an advocate of open source intelligence. And he was taught, so Signal, what all the stuff we're talking about is called Signal intelligence. So there's different types of intel- intelligence gathering. There's human intelligence, which is spies. Yeah. Signal intelligence is largely having to do with like electronics, anything with an electronic signal. And so what Robert Steele told me, I, I'm going to put the piece in, in, in the show notes. He said, um, Signal's intelligence has always prim- has always relied primarily on seeing the dots and connecting the dots, not on knowing what the dots are saying. When combined with the history of the dots, and particularly the dots coming together in meetings, or a black anonymous cell phone residing next to a white known cell phone, such, as, such that the black acquires a white identity by extension it becomes possible to map human activity in relation to weapons caches, mosques, meetings, etc. So that's why the military, this is a, a lot of like th- this, this stuff we're talking about. A lot of it has to do for the military purpose, us, the but, interest of the yeah. U S war machine. And so what Steele said, this is actually important because it relates to what we're talking about. He said, the only advantage to signals intelligence is that, it's very, very expensive and leaves a lot of money on the table for pork and overhead, which means like it, it's an advantage for these tech companies. And then um, Captain Michael Cairns, um, uh, he's a, he's a former SEER instructor, and he he was also he also has been critical of the U.S. torture program. He also the, I'm a, I'm going to say this quote because what he said I think was very revealing. He said, "Back in the day when the world was analog, every signal was one signal." Some signals contained a broad band of information contained within, however, there were no data packets embedded within the electromagnetic spectrum. Therefore, collecting a signal or phone conversation was largely the task of capturing, decoding, processing some specifically targeted singular source. Today, welcome to the digital era. Data packets flow as if like water, so it's like the internet, with pieces and parts of all things upstream contained within. Therefore, the task today for a digital society is largely one of collecting everything, so as to fully unwrap and exploit the totality of the captured data in an almost exploratory manner. And therein lies the apparent inherently unconstitutionalness of wholesale collection of data. It's almost like pre-crime. So it's basically like Minority Report, like uh, yeah. because the government and, and companies can be able to map your activity, they can predict what you're going to do so this is like this is basically like philip k dick's minority report is being able to predict what kind of criminal or terror activity you're going to do to make it uh seem like it's justified to arrest you and 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 take away your rights so i I wanted to i wanted to mention those quotes because they were very they are very uh, applicable to what we are talking about and this, mm-hmm. this, the stakes of what we're talking about. And I want to say, uh, too, as well, we had a prominent lawyer here in Columbus who was in a lawsuit with the Columbus Police Department. And in the Columbus Police Department's files against them, 
they found Xerox copies of the lawyer's Twitter account. So they were going to the lawyer's uh, Twitter feed, or social media and copying everything yeah. just to gather intel on mm, the yeah. lawyer. And so yeah, it had nothing so, to do with the case, mm-hmm. but, you know, it was being yeah, collected. Yeah, well, so, it was social clear. media is just wiretapping yourself. I mean, yeah. every yeah. you like anything that is publicly available on social media. Yeah. If you're someone who's spoken out against the police or anything like that. Yeah. The police almost definitely have a file on you. Um, and yeah, the, well, you brought up the difference between signal intelligence and human intelligence. And that is also important because, you know, COINTELPRO type programs use both. I mean, Part of yeah. it is, you know, tapping your phone, but part of it is also, you know, rats and uh, mm-hmm. provocateurs and all that, yeah. Yeah. all that fun mm-hmm. stuff they did, they did and still do. And, you know, it works together. So it's not like and it's not like protecting one is going to protect you from the other. It's, you know, yeah. the kind of security culture that is also necessary, you know, online is all is relates to the kind of ways you have to operate and move, um, you know, in meat space, let's say, and, you know, Mm -hmm. with people. And because it's all about, it's all about finding the network. It's all about like what counterintelligence programs, um, what surveillance programs are after is the net is social networks. And that's why social media is so like, is, you know, just a dream for them because it's like, before they would have to, you know, go to high, you know, track down people's high school, you know, graduation yearbooks and stuff and try to figure out who met who, when and where and all that stuff. Um, and now, you know, Facebook will tell you you've known this person for, you know, 10 years or whatever. And this, right. and here are all the photos you took together. So, you know, it's important to not let that deter you because I think a lot of people and I think especially like the earlier parts of our generation and um, you know, I guess maybe Gen Xers or something, there was this, you know, there's this constant paranoia where it's like we couldn't really speak because, you know, we knew we were being watched and therefore we didn't want to say anything too, you know, heavy or radical. But I think people have just gotten to the point where they kinda don't care. You know, or yeah. just like, you know, as you know, if the feds are going to watch, let them watch. Let's give them something to watch is sometimes how I've approached it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, but as as sort of this move as the movement matures and we start to get more serious about, you know, militant action like this stuff does become really important because they can, you know, the last thing you want to do is be a sucker and just leave just, you know, tell advertise to them what it is that you're doing. You know, right. one of the reasons that this whole uprising, you know, caught such fire literally so quickly is that <laughs> nobody knew what was happening. You know, like the, you know, the liberal nonprofits or, pro- or the, you know, the people that, whose job it is to monitor these activists and kind of keep them, you know, on the straight and narrow and the legalistic route and all that stuff. They had not, you know, they, they got caught slipping and, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear to say like that there, you know, at least in Minneapolis, there was coordination with like, you know, uh, perhaps underground, an- you know, anarchist groups and stuff like that, which is good, which needs to happen. Um, but, you know, part of that is like at the very least making that, you know, because if 
every police department has to like bust out the big guns of surveillance like that eventually is something that they have to actually ask congress for you know like they have to approve the money they can't just do that with dark money at that point it then becomes like a recognition of this as a you know domestic security threat and that's something that you know then has to be discussed publicly and so you know the more you know the the harder we make it for them you know the more that we can push because you know that because part of it is exactly that not once they get to the point where it's like okay well we have to actually crush these people it can't just be outside agitators or something then they have to sort of name organizations and <laughs> destroy them and that's something you know like the patriot act you know they they can do all the covert stuff they want to that's you know i mean the constitution never has meant anything really but the thing about the patriot act is that it gave it empowered these agencies to you know do create more massive more massive sweeping programs that they, you know, openly didn't have to be accountable for because they're empowered to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, all of it relates to like the technical capability and, you know, the political capability to pull off this kind of stuff because, you know, Americans don't like the concept, but they can be willing to go along with it if the enemy is scary enough. But I think one of the things we saw in the past two weeks, because Certainly there were people who were ready to roll tanks and there were a couple of times where I was like, oh, shit, it's over now. I mean, they're they're yeah. going to they're going to start doing it, you know, Pinochet style. And, you know, we're not quite there yet, but I mean, the way everything's going there, it's only a matter of time, I think. Yeah, they've been, it starts to get real bad. They've been running the, 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 uh, the test grounds for a while now, because I mentioned before we had the couple court cases that I think happened in Baltimore. With yeah. the police using the MZ catcher on people. So I mean, these are low profile people who had no protection and they got railroaded by this technology. And then with this current crackdown on uh, undocumented people, you've had ICE using uh, these stingrays a lot to uh, triangulate people's locations mm-hmm. and, and round them up as well. So the government has been using these technologies a lot, but they've been using it on people who can't really do too much about it. And so the training has already been put in place. I mean, they're ready to roll this stuff out full time. And then you brought up the Patriot Act, which brings us back to the Antifa problem, which is labeling everyone an Antifa terrorist. Right? Yeah. yeah. So now the gloves really come off. Right. And then mm-hmm. you have this thing called the Earn It Act, which has been introduced. I don't know if it's gotten through the Senate yet. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but this is a new piece of legislation that's trying to supposedly crack down on child predators but what it really is it's a cover-up to break all encryption so they're trying to make encryption illegal because they're saying that you know child predators can go on the dark web and solicit children but they're encrypted but that's the that's the cover-up for it the real truth is that if they do this we can't use encryption at all and so i hope it doesn't pass i mean this really could be the death nail for all this stuff but like, like peter said i mean the tanks are coming and one way or another um either physically or virtually so we really got to be on our p's and q's yeah yeah and also on top of that uh the new york state supreme court this is i think two weeks ago so there is a petition seeking this is from common dreams there is a petition seeking the immediate release of hundreds of protesters who had been held by nypd for more than 24 hours um 
and which is basically like you know if you hold people for in for more than 24 hours that's getting into indefinite detention basically um the new york state supreme court rejected that petition which basically means that it's it's okay to indefinitely detain protesters this is this is in new york and this is a pretty i mean damning precedent but like this is also um in the the national defense authorization act of 2012 like there is a similar provision that allowed for indefinite indefinite the indefinite detention of american citizens um indefinite detention that's something that's getting into my sort of forte when it comes to guantanamo that's one of the things that always made guantanamo so odious is holding people indefinitely without charging them or or trying them like so because you're not supposed to hold people uh without charging or trying them you you can hold them temporarily but not indefinitely so basically guantanamo is is that and so now like we're seeing basically like think of it this way like a lot of the violence that gets externalized overseas comes back home and vice versa right the same kind of tactics of 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 suppression and and violence and surveillance that get basically tested overseas against overseas enemies wind up coming back internally to use against internal enemies um so you see it the same with the 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 perfection of signals intelligence used overseas well it comes back here um when it comes to surveilling you know black people and and activists and and it's just a whole history of this but yeah i i agree it's important to be on our p's and q's on this yeah and some something also to drive home you know specifically with as it relates to guantanamo and indefinite detention was you know i i think it was mostly cheney behind this creating the concept of terrorists as unlawful combatants and yeah yeah by doing that that they are they are saying i mean i don't know if the un agrees but their argument is that as unlawful combatants the geneva convention doesn't apply to them so pretty much yeah yeah it's a separate yeah yeah, they're trying to create basically a separate category of quote-unquote enemy that it's okay to basically yeah go outside of any sort of international human rights uh protect protection that's available one thing that is hopeful i because we're getting close to the end and i want to actually do bring some good news is that um so uh oh yeah so basically the what's been really interesting you know especially as a pan-africanist is there's been a lot of solidarity um in the african diaspora and the african continent uh like there have been a lot of protests throughout africa like in nigeria kenya um the government of ghana actually laid out a memorial for george floyd um and so there was i think a petition by i think representatives of the floyd family but so um apparently so the u so the u.n human rights council has decided this is from an npr article to hold an urgent debate on racism and police brutality in the wake of the police killing of george floyd and the proposal was led by pretty much the entire african continent and it was led by burkina faso which connects to thomas Sankara, who who this podcast is named after and so basically like the u.n human rights council is is uh going to hold like a, a, a essentially an urgent debate on um uh, uh 
uh, systemic racism in the United States. I want to. I'll, I'll pull up the uh, the um, actual uh, letter. Hold on. Let me let me find it because I think it's um, uh, really important. Okay. Yeah. So there was um, a letter that essentially. Uh, um, let me find it. Okay. Yeah. So the Burkina Faso ambassador to the UN said that. The death of George Floyd is unfortunately not an isolated incident with many previous cases of uh, previous cases of unarmed persons of African descent suffering the same fate due to unchecked police brutality. And it says uh, the main aim of the urgent dialogue is to address the structural and proximate causes of racial discrimination that prevails worldwide with tremendous impact on the enjoyment of human rights, especially by people of African descent. Um, and then, and so, according to Al Jazeera, the the this call for a debate at the UN, it basically, um, Floyd's family, along with families of other police violence victims, and and several like I think it says more than six hundred NGOs, I guess basically yeah, petitioned the UN Human Rights Council to have this debate. So the world is watching, uh, yeah. you know, and it's bad. Yeah, but I do think like it's it is heartening to see like this level of global solidarity that throughout the global black family to see this kind of solidarity and be able to petition to UN. I mean, we'll see what the UN does. I mean, the UN is obviously like far, far, far from perfect, but um, I think like that kind of global solidarity can offer uh, a counterweight to systemic racism. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's true about, you know, let's say asymmetrical warfare, any of that kind of stuff, anti-colonial situations is that, yeah, um, certainly there can be a highly developed repressive apparatus of the state that wants you to think that it's everywhere and can do everything right. But the way you get around that is through, you know, international solidarity when the actions of that repressive state apparatus then become an international problem and such that like the, you know, that country can't then go about its normal business. I mean, you know, in the same way, then it eventually does have to do something about that problem in a constructive way. So, you know, these are, you know, trying to have like a positive message through all of the kind of scary stuff that gets that is putting out that we're putting out there because i mean it's important that people understand the truth about this stuff but also you shouldn't let it paralyze you because this yeah. is this is a global movement mm-hmm. and we have to remember that <laughs> yeah right. and the african union uh i think i said this before but i'll say it again uh black america is basically a member of the sixth region of the african union so the the sixth region in addition to the five regions that the African Union represents, uh, which, you know, so North, Northern Africa, Western Africa, Eastern, Central, and Southern Africa, like those are the five regions on the continent. The sixth region is the African diaspora. So, uh, you know, we can't just look at black identity and black liberation just as it's confined to the u.s territory and u.s borders like we are a part of an actual global black community and um and yeah and like that can offer uh hope i think i mean it offers me hope it offers me hope it's something that's like okay we don't have to just 
it, you know, sort of being this like kind of David and Goliath fight, like we, you know, with 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 Black America versus the the uh, machinery and strength of the the U.S. state. Like, you know, we do have muscle we can flex, and it's 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 time for us to uh, flex it. And yeah, like international global solidarity, that's really important, and um, that that's helped before, and I think it should help again. And and, and, and yeah. Uh, I just want to, especially since we started on such a very sad and grim story, um, that there is room for hope. Uh, not the not the Obama hope, <laughs> not, not that hope. I don't, I don't, I don't say hope. I say you know resolve. Resolve, letting, yeah. Okay, letting, you letting it strengthen your resolve. I'm yeah, done with yeah. hope. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. All right, you ruined everything. Yeah. Um, Tron, do you got any last words before we get out of here? I mean, I'll just kind of run down these points a little bit. It's just, um, yeah, make sure that you're, you're putting a lot of disinformation out there to keep yourself safe. Use a fake name on social media, fake birthday. Don't put your picture up there. Take them down. Take all your pictures off social media. Now, Instagram is a little bit different. Um, I do have a business account on Instagram, so that's kind of – I expect to be a public figure in that respect. But just when you're talking about personal things, um, yeah. depersonalize those as much as possible. Yeah. Have multiple browsers set up for multiple different uses, different things. Get a VPN. Get even more secure. Run a tour, run tour and VPN. Get rid of iPhones. And um, I think – you know, yeah, there's other stuff we didn't talk about, but I, we've, we've covered enough. The basic stuff is, is there. And uh, for your phones and all that kind of stuff too, kind of there's no way really around the there's no way around the stingray except for getting rid of your SIM card and things like that. And I know a lot of people have talked about should you record protests and things like that. Mm. Um, personally, I think if there's nothing illegal happening, I do try not to get people's faces, but that's kind of your discretion. Um, if I just if I just want to show a large group of people, I don't think there's yeah. too much in harm in that. Um, uh. But yeah, we can talk about that if you guys want to before um, we close out. Yeah, I just want to mention before we close out with the faces, because I do think that's important. Um, the, in, tw- in 2014, 2015, there were a lot of Black Lives Matter activists who just wound up dead in very, in very, very suspicious circumstances. And some of those people uh, were people who were photographed. So I do think it's important to, when you're taking pictures yeah. of people, to... Uh, like black out their face or just just yeah. be very very careful because yeah the, like we yeah, don't right. the, da- the danger with that isn't necessarily the police because like i said the police are recording all of it um so you know any protest the police have recordings of but you know the fascists the, the yeah you know the nazis they do they they can use that stuff for doxing purposes and targeting purposes yeah, yeah. and you know it is it's not in any you know i don't I don't know if we made mention of the um, five, you know, black men that have been found in nooses, but you know, yeah, I, I, That's they're it. not. I, 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 I don't really believe they were suicides. And oh I mean, no, we, and we are. No. I mean, we are in a place where, you know, aside from the police, there are you know far right fascist groups, white supremacist groups that are just targeting and killing black people now. So yeah. You know. There were there were a couple nooses found in Oakland hanging off of trees in Lake Merritt, um, yeah. and just recently Mayor Libby Schaff of Oakland uh, said that you know they're going to be investigating those as hate crimes. But yeah, like there is yeah I think like five black men who were just found 
left hanging. And yeah, I do not believe that those were suicides at all. Uh, this vi- so these are very uh, yeah the protests are inspiring, but it's like yeah it's very important to to stay safe. Um, and yeah, th- these these are these are very very um, intense times, and mm-hmm. it's important to stay frosty. And Google yourself too while you're at it. Just go ahead and Google yourself, see what you can dig up, and see how deep it goes. And I think that'll kind of get you to see how deep this 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 thing is. Yeah. 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 Stay safe, but also stay dangerous. Yes. <laughs> and keep the faith. That's right. All right. All right. Well, take care, everyone. Thank you, Tron. Um. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. All right. This is really good. Yeah. All right. Later. I'll see you later. All right. Later. Bye.